now it's time for ketchup kitchen catch-ups. Welcome to Ketchup Kitchen Catch-Ups. This is the story of Ketchup, Catchtown Part 2. Hi everybody, how was that? Is that cool? No? Dumb? Okay, bye. Anyway, uh, hi, this is Mike here. I'm uh, uh, recording in the new studio of sorts for, for whatever podcasts are involved. Um... It's not completed yet, but I got a nice section for a personal recording section where I got some nice sound core or foam board, sound foam. I don't know. I'm like, uh, any equipment and stuff isn't going to help me talk any better. So, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to do anyway? Um, yeah, I've got, I'm, I, I had a lot of, we had a lot of really good response about the catch town episode. People seem to like the catch town stuff. So I figured we'll just do another one. Um, and then, you know, next week have another guest and maybe a couple more guests and then pop back in and out of this Catchtown thing. Um, so I'm just going to pop right into it. There's a, uh, this is from, these are excerpts again from the book Pure Ketchup, A History of America's National Condiment by uh, Andrew F. Smith. And so I've got some excerpts I'm going to read from that about some more ketchup information about the origin and variances of ketchup again. So, um, well, just sit back, relax, and join me in Catch Town Part 2. Whatever the origins of ketchup, British explorers first encountered it in Southeast Asia. The earliest known publication of the word ketchup in the English language, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, was in A New Dictionary of the Terms Ancient and Modern of the Canting Crew, which was compiled at the end of the 17th century. Ketchup was defined as a high East India sauce. At the time, East India meant that what is today South Asia or Southeast Asia, or both, I guess. Indonesia was particularly referred to as the East Indies. The second reference to ketchup appeared in Charles Lockyer's Account of the Trade in India from 1711. Lockyer visited Sumatra, Canton, in India during the early 18th century. He reported that soy comes in tubs from Japan and the best ketchup comes from Tonquin. Both soy sauce and ketchup were important enough to be traded throughout Southeast Asia and Canton even levied small custom duties on their importation. They liked them a lot. The first known English-language ketchup recipe was published in 1727 edition of E. Smith's Complete Housewife or Accomplished Gentlewoman's Companion. Her recipe, to make English ketchup, spelled K-A-T-C-H-O-P, haven't seen that one yet. Her recipe, to make English ketchup, contained 12 to 14 anchovies, 10 to 12 shallots, white wine vinegar, two types of white wine, and spices galore. As an afterthought, Smith mentioned that this mixture would be added to the clear liquid that comes from mushrooms. Despite the word ketchup in the title, Smith's recipe was similar to existing English fish sauces. Vinegar and wine, for instance, were European products. 
While several spices in Smith's recipe originated in Southeast Asia, they were all commonly used ingredients in England well before ketchup's advent. Alternately, few of the ingredients in the Smith's recipe are known to have been used in Southeast Asia fish or soy sauces. These commonalities with previously published English recipes may be the reason she identified it as English ketchup. The title of Smith's recipe implies that there were other non-English ketchups around the time. Only one ketchup recipe known to have originated in Southeast Asia has survived. It was published by Richard Bradley in 1732 edition of his Country Gentleman and Farmer's Monthly Director. Although his career as a professor at Cambridge University was riddled with scandal, Bradley was an acute observer, an astute horticulturalist, and a prolific writer. He announced in the extended title of his Country Gentleman that the book possessed the best method of making ketchup and many other curious and durable sauces. The main ingredient in Bradley's ketchup in pastes was kidney beans, a food from the New World, which had come become the rage in England during the latter years of the 17th century. Kidney beans were a creative substitute for soybeans, which were not cultivated in Europe at the time. This recipe was more spiced than the first one, with a medley of powdered nutmeg, cloves, mason pepper, garlic, and orange juice, or some mango pickle. This recipe resulted in a paste with the consistency of butter. When needed, the paste was combined with a liquid, as it contained no salt, sugar, or other preservatives, it could not have survived for any length of time. The signor- jeez! Oh, the historical significance of this recipe was its identification of the Beloquin of the East Indies as its place of origin. Belo- oh, Benculin, hopefully that's how it's been, Benculin? Oh. Benculin was a British settlement on the Sumatra, uh, on the Sumatra, established in 1684. It served as the center of the British pepper and spice trade during the late 17th and early 18th centuries. At the time of its founding, Benkulen was the only British settlement in Elsie. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, everybody. You think I'd edit that out? Maybe I will. If you're hearing this, I didn't, obviously. At the time of its founding, Benkulen was the only British settlement in Southeast Asia. The prob provenance of this recipe establishes that the British were introduced to some ketchups in what is today Indonesia. The ketchup that the British found was not a single, well-defined product. In today's Indonesia, kikap usually means sauce and usually refers to fermented black soybeans with a roasted cassava flour. In the late 17th and early 18th centuries, this diversity was even greater as there was no standardizing mechanisms for food production. Producers had their own particular way of manufacturing ketchup. Since soybeans were not cultivated in Europe, British cooks creatively substituted other products, such as mushrooms and kidney beans. As a few British, as few British sailors—man, oh I'll never make it on NPR. As few British sailors or colonial servants had actually traveled to Southeast Asia or sampled real ketchup, little need or inclination arose to duplicate the genuine product, whatever that may have been. These factors created conditions that permitted cooks and cookery writers to experiment with new types of ketchups that were unlike previous English or Southeast Asian recipes. 
the proliferation of so many diverse ketchup recipes can be attributed to the inventiveness, resourcefulness, and British culinary ingenuity during the 18th century. In England, ketchup's popularity spread quickly. In 1743, Sarah Harrison from Devonshire professed that ketchup, spelt K-I-T-C-H-U-P, ketchup and mushroom ketchup were staples, and she advised the readers of her housekeeper's pocketbook to go to the store to buy them. Presumably, due to the general availability of commercial ketchups, she did not even bother to offer recipes, but recommended purchasing them from a reputable grocer. If ketchups were commonly available in shops by 1743, it suggests that the printed references to ketchup lagged far behind that of common usage. Three general types of ketchup emerged. By the mid-18th century, mushroom, fish, and walnut. Mushroom ketchup was a particularly successful condiment. The first known mushroom ketchup recipe was published by Richard Bradley in 1728. Bradley's recipe, to make mushroom ketchup, produced a thin sauce similar in appearance and consistency with the soy sauces that British sailors encountered in Southeast Asia. Bradley reported that he had a bottle of this sort of ketchup that had been opened and set for above a year that had not received the least damage. So apparently it's surviving. Um, I, well not I, but in this book, have this recipe, and I would like to read it for you, dear listener. This is Richard Bradley's To Make Mushroom Ketchup uh, from the Country Gentleman and Farmer's Monthly Director from 1728. Take the gills of large mushrooms, such as are spread quite open, put them into a skillet of bell metal or a vessel of earthenware glazed, and set them over a gentle fire till they begin to change into water, and then frequently stirring them till there is as much liquor come out of them as can be expected, pressing them often with a spoon against the side of the vessel. Then strain off the liquor and put to every quart of it about 80 cloves, if they are fresh and good, or half as many if they are dry or have not been kept a long time, and about a drachm of mace. Add to this about a pint of strong red port wine that has not been adulterated, and boil them all together till you judge that every quart has lost about a fourth part or half a pint. Then pass it through a sieve and let it stand to cool. And when it is quite cold, bottle it up in dry bottles of pints or half pints and cork them close for it is to the surest way to keep these kind of liquors in such small quantities as may be quick, used quickly when they come to be exposed to the air for fear of growing moldy. A little of, is, of it is very rich in any sauce, and especially when gravy is wanting, therefore it may be of service to travelers who too frequently meet with good fish and other, meat, and other meats in Britain as in several other parts of Europe that are spoiled in the dressing. But it must be considered that there is no salt in this, so that whenever it is used, salt, anchovies, or other such like relishing things may be used with it, if they are agreeable to the palate, and so likewise with the mushroom gravy in the following recipe. So that's a little taste of that, um, of what that recipe is, what an old recipe is. There's a lot of commentary in that, right? Like, not... Yeah, it's not just, here's what you do, here's the ingredients. It was a lot of, like... Check this out. Um, let's see here. Back to the text.
this recipe demonstrated the experience of a knowledgeable ketchup cook. For instance, it advised against cooking the ketchup in a copper pan, advocating instead the use of an earthenware vessel or bell metal skillet. Experienced cooks wisely feared the mingling of acids and salt, often found in ketchups, with copper cookery vessels, as the interaction produced vertiginous, a poisonous compound. The recipe urged the use of small bottles for conserving the ketchup, as the liquid tended to mold shortly after opening. This affliction continually haunted ketchup makers and remained effectively unresolved until the early 20th century. This ketchup served as an additive to gravies and was poured upon meats and fish. The author suggested the possibility that the mixture could be combined with salt and anchovies, ingredients which were also prominent in latter ketchups. Well, that's, that's where I'm going to stop reading from the text text here. I would like to read one more recipe for you guys, though, because within this book, I also found a recipe for blackberry ketchup. And as you listeners may know, we had some blackberry ketchup uh, a few weeks back, and it was really, really good. And uh, I'm bummed that I don't have any. Matt Josh, I'm jealous. Um, okay, well, here's, here's a recipe for blackberry ketchup from 1861 from E.F. Haskell's The Housekeeper's Encyclopedia. Cover the fruit with boiling water, press out the liquor, add whole pepper, mace, cinnamon, white mustard, each one teaspoonful for every two quarts, reduce by boiling one quarter, strain and boil until very thick, and reduce with vinegar of the best quality. Bottle and seal immediately. So that's... I mean, that's pretty straightforward. I think I understand it. It's, you know, a teaspoon of all the same things for, I don't know. It's a, a lot of these recipes are very vague. Um, and so, you know, so it's just like, it says about this and about that or some. Uh, some of these things just say, add some. You know, what does that mean? I don't know. Either way, uh, this is a nice little short one here for you guys. Look at this. We'll, we'll be done before 15 minutes. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, next week we'll have a, a fun guest again and uh, try some more ketchups. Man, I've got a whole bunch of ketchup right now. So I can't wait to get rid of some of it. So yeah, uh, catch you guys later. Call the squirt line, 4197-SQUIRT. Um, and yeah, you know, follow on Insta- uh, Instagram. No, I'm not on Instagram. Uh, Twitter is what I meant. Twitter, let's underscore cats up. Uh, you know, pop into the Facebook, rate and review on iTunes. You know how it goes. All that garbage. Uh, Appreciate it. Love you guys. Have a great week. Bye.